0: as five of these former kids come out of the basement and onto the internet to experience adventure, mystery, and obscure pop culture references, it's time for roll for combat. Hey everyone, welcome to Rule for Combat. I'm your GM and host Steven Glicker. And in this week's special episode, I sit down with Luis Loza from Paizo. We talk all about the Pathfinder Lost Omens guides that are coming up. We talk all about Gods and Magic, which is releasing any day now. We talk a bit about Absalon City of Lost Omens. But most importantly, I got him to spill the beans on Pathfinder Lost Omens Legends. That one he went crazy on, he gave me so much information I truly hope he doesn't get in trouble because once he got going I just kept asking more and more questions because that was a truly fascinating book since we know so little about it and he goes into a tremendous amount of detail. Of course, we go into a lot of detail about Gods and Magic, of course, and Absalon, but the Legends is fascinating just because we've never really had a book quite like this before. We've had Gods and Magic in the past, and we've had Absalon, kind of, in the past, but nothing quite like Legends. But it doesn't matter. We talk about everything, all the Lost Omens books, in extensive detail for nearly an hour. So if you want to know all about the new things coming out in the next half year and want to hear really, really cool stuff and get very excited... Well, this is the interview for you. Also, next week, I'm going to have an interview with Eric Mona, where we're going to be talking all about Extinction Curse, a whole bunch about Absalon, City of Lost Omens, because he wrote a lot of that book. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that book next week. And we talk about the new adventure he's working on, where he's creating a super mega dungeon in the city of Absalon. And we also just talk about Pathfinder in general and just geek out about, you know, I don't know, role playing in general. So look for that interview next week as well. And finally, for those of you new to the show who have never heard us before, welcome. We do two podcasts right now. We're doing Starfinder Dead Suns Adventure Path, and we're doing The Fall of Plaguestone. The Dead Suns Adventure Path is at the end of book six, so we're nearly done with that. And The Fall of Plaguestone, we're kind of in the middle right now. So if you want to jump in, you can catch right up. It's really quick. And next year, we're going to be starting at least two brand new podcast shows. Both are going to be quite different than what we've done to date. And one of them is going to be designed that you can jump in and out of really quickly. It's going to be kind of episodic. It's going to be very different than anything you've seen or heard in the past from well, pretty much anyone. We're coming up with this new format, and we're working with Paizo on it really closely. I think you're going to really enjoy that. So if you like Pathfinder, or if you just like role-playing and you like stories in general, definitely stick with the channel, subscribe to us, and you'll find out all about that. I'll talk a little bit more about that next week with the interview with Eric. But with that, let's get into this week's interview with Luis. Hey Everyone, Steve here. I am at PAX Unplugged, and I am sitting down with Luis Loza, Pathfinder developer at Paizo, and we are going to be talking all about gods and magic as well as many other things. How are you doing today, Luis? I'm doing pretty well. It's my first time here, and I'm excited to see everything and
1: everyone that's come by.
0: Oh, that's right. You have not been to PAX Unplugged. What do you think? Uh, It's pretty cool
1: and far less busier than the other PAXs I've been to, so it's kind of a nice relief to not have to manage through all the different crowds. and stuff.
0: Well, it's nice because it's it's like one of the only conventions that I know, other than Origins, which has sort of gone away from that, it's just board games. Yeah. Like, there's some role-playing and there's some other things, but it's really board games. Yep and it's it's just a different vibe. It's more relaxed. Everyone's sitting down playing games, sort of just, you know, doing their own thing. So you guys can just relax, demo some uh, games and not have to worry about running the whole convention like you normally do. So Gods and Magic. Gods and Magic. I got the book early. I was able to read it. And there's two things that stood out. One, <laughs> okay. the artwork is stunning. Yes. And two, there is a lot of gods in this book. Yes. It is endless. It's like every page, there's gods, gods, more gods, and then more gods on top of that. Like You you didn't fool around with the gods.
1: No, we. You, you'd be surprised. There's so many gods, but there's still so many left that we couldn't fit in. But yeah, we, we tried our best to cram in as much as we possibly could. And even our attempts weren't good enough. Like we, There's still so many that we had to leave out at the last second, even. Who's that? Oh, there, there's a, as you saw, there's a chart in the back that's just... here's As much as we can cram in at the, you know, at the last bit of the book, it's just charts and charts. If you looked at um, Inner Sea Gods during 1st edition, they had a similar chart. And this presents all the basics you need edicts, anathemas, domains, favorite weapons, all that basic stuff you need to worship a god without, like, even knowing who they are. But if you happen to know them from first edition stuff, you can you know, look up the, the older books and find their info. And even that wasn't enough to, we, we had a huge list, and then it came time to lay them out, and a good couple dozen got dropped because they just couldn't fit.
0: Well, you can just do Gods and Magic Part 2 and god get in. The gods that didn't make the first cut. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, of course, new gods, because
1: we always like to come up with new gods.
0: So describe how the book is arranged, because it seems like you have like the core 20, and then how does it go from there? So,
1: the as you mentioned, it starts with the core 20, the, the 20 deities that you'll find in the core rulebook, the ones you've had since first edition, and then we go into what we call the other 20, not because there's just another 20 gods that we picked... And the majority of them came from our two other God books that we came out in the campaign setting line in first edition. That's um, Inner Sea Face and Face of Galarian, which covered a, a few more. And those, because they had a lot of information, meant that it was easier for us to pick them up, you know, tweak the the information we needed for second edition and the updated timeline, and put them in. So a good. Two thirds of those are from those two other books, and then there's a, a smattering of, hey, the, the timeline has been updated, new gods have risen up to divinity, uh, you know, from the culmination of Adventure past and other stuff, and we want to include those as well to show that hey, these these are the up uh, and comers, uh, and you know, people who may have had a, a chance to interact with these figures, you know, through the APs as their characters or whatever the case might be, can now see them. Hey look, look at the fruits of your labor for, for helping them out or whatever the case might have been.
0: Who decides like which gods are the quote up and coming? Is it a Paisa decision? Is it your decision? Is it it's, it's a collaborative decision?
1: thing. Uh, I mean part of that is jumping into things like the adventure path and finding <laughs> cases where Hey, there was this person and, you know, they, they have now become a god or, or whatever the case might be. I don't want to throw out any spoilers in case people are playing some of these APs, but there are instances where new gods are kind of rise up at the end of APs because of, you know, they're, they're kind of big dramatic changes. And those were very obvious. Hey, we want to pick those. Um, and. Uh, Then we also have, you know, everyone has their their favorite god or gods that they they follow. James Jacobs has, you know, someone like Nocticula, who he's been kind of nursing that story for a a long time. And Eleanor and I have our favorites. And it all came together with a big, huge meeting of actually all of the developers and everyone else on on the team got together, kind of threw out their top 10 favorite gods list. And from there, we you know, had a ranking of, well, this god showed up on eight people's lists, and this god showed up on five people's lists, and that kind of gave us an idea of, oh, well, these are the gods that we like. Not to say that, you know, we don't like the other gods, but we we like to make sure we put stuff in the books that we like to, you know, we want to be passionate about our books, and that helps us out a lot. So that also determined, beyond just the up-and-comers, how we kind of figured out that final list of who showed up and who didn't.
0: So if you already have, you know, some of the past books... Mm -hmm. You know, why would you want to get, say, this book, other than the fact that now you have everything in one location? And and actually, I mean, for me, I felt it was pretty helpful because, like, one of the gods that's very popular in one of our campaigns is King Killin, and there's actually not as much information about him as you would think. You know, he seems so popular, yet I look back at the Pathfinder 1 books and there's not that much info on him. There's only, I think, like two pictures of him even. Here, obviously, he's more front and center, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot more information on him. But some of the other gods, you know, is it just it's all combined? It's adapted now for second edition. You have certain artifacts for them now, certain spells. Like, why would you know what what's the big
1: advantage? Sure, with uh, I mean, there's a lot of different things that have come into play here. Uh, first off, if you just go into the lore and the background of the individual gods, some of those have been updated o- over time. Uh, you know, the, there there are some instances where we had deities that. We said, oh, they, their followers tend to do this or that or whatever and realized, oh, no, it's actually a better fit if, you know, more thematically if they end up doing other things. So we, we've we updated kind of the, the lore and, and and history around them just to better match the kind of things we want to do with the stories we tell. Um, but in addition to that, some of these deities like Caden Kaling you mentioned, had an entry in literally the very first Pathfinder Adventure Path, uh, Council of Thieves, and then showed up maybe once more in Inner Sea Gods and you don't see him again, he's great. We love him. He's a core deity. Obviously, he's very important. It's just we end up focusing on so many deities over 10 years that it's easy to lose track of them. So just bringing all of these core deities back up into the spotlight again gives both returning players and new players a chance to discover who they are. If you just started with 2nd edition, you don't know who anyone on this core list of deities is in the, the core rulebook beyond that. I guess Caden Kalian likes freedom and ale and gives me this city's domain, you know, that doesn't tell me much. So coming, even if, you, uh, if you've never tried uh, or read any of our books, you know, this is very important for you to f- figure out who these are. Knowing what you believe uh, is great. But if you have, you know, an encyclopedic knowledge of all of these deities, there's still new stuff here. Uh, first off, with mechanics, we have uh, a new system that we call divine intercessions which is a thing that has shown up here and there through our adventures and the like, and some of the other stories we tell, where a deity will grant you their blessing or grant you some great power or ability as a reward for the the work you've done for them. Or as punishment, you might get cursed for some some deity that you've slighted. So in APs, for example, you might find a shrine that's been... Uh, Desecrated, and if you clean it up that deity will say oh here you go you get a plus one to your saves for a week or something and we wanted to include that as a kind of codified system to encourage GMs to use that in their games and because it's not a thing we've ever properly did before we now get to show you oh what does a blessing from Aristotle look like what does a curse from Phrasma look like and things like that so that even just flushes out the, the deities a bit more even if you're used to them suddenly knowing that oh, when I get Iomedei's blessing, my sword stays clean forever, no matter how many enemies I take down. It, you know It's just kind of a neat little thing. Oh, okay. That kind of purity aspect of Iomedei is shining through in those mechanics. And then with the other changes in 2, we have chances to provide new domains and things like that uh, that may not have obvious uh, counterparts in 1st edition that kind of also expand the, the, the themes and, and the inf- the lore that ties to these deities.
0: So basically, you're able to clean everything up and make it work with 2nd Edition, add specific rules for 2nd Edition, codify it, and just say, okay, everything in one location. Because I have found, like, if looking for some of the especially the rarer deities, yeah. you really got to look and find yeah, some definitely. of those. So one thing I wanted to talk about is some of the rarer deities. Like, one of my favorites, and it's such a weird deity, Grotus. Yep. What the heck is going on with him? And it's like, it's like, yeah, he just doesn't do anything. He's just sitting there waiting for everything to end. Yep. It's like, yeah, people don't even really worship him because he doesn't care. He doesn't do anything. It's just there. He's the big
1: sign of the end times. Yeah, it's kind of a, a fun thing when once you get past the, the core deities, you know, you have the typical stuff you're used to from fantasy. A god of healing, a god of magic, a god of fire and earth and all that typical stuff. Then you get into the kind of weirder niche stuff, like the God that is here to end all of existence, but up until that point doesn't do anything. He doesn't, like, push forward the utter annihilation of existence. He just is there to remind you it's
0: going to (laughs) happen and technically can grant you power if you're up for it. It's fascinating is that if you look at some of the, uh, you know, older religions, there was always a God like that. Like mm-hmm. in ancient Egypt, I believe there was uh, a God like that. Sure. Obviously, a lot of these gods were taken from ancient times. But it's fascinating that you were able to get so many yeah. of those gods into this book. And there's even ways to worship like the weirdest of them. You have the old ones. Yep. Like, yeah, you want to worship the old ones? Here you go. Here's how you do it. Yeah. And uh, there's even a little write-up of what you get if you do and mm-hmm. what bad things can happen to you. And it's it's... It's nice just to see. I think a lot of people are going to be drawn, not just for the main 20, but some of the outsider gods that no one even knows about. Yeah, yeah.
1: The, the more obscure stuff can, can be really fun. And we also got to play with some of the mechanics in, in that sense. I mean, we don't grant you as much stuff for things like the, the outer gods, but we have to give you the basics, edicts, anathemas, all that stuff. And even that is enough to kind of express more uh, of their themes up there. So I believe the Outer Gods, if you look at what they grant you, the edicts tell you, you know, here's what you have to follow. And typically in anathema, is if you do this, they will get upset and you might even lose your powers. Theirs is just nothing. They don't care. They just want you <laughs> to continue to sow destruction and, and you know bring about the terrible calamities that they want. And if you don't, whatever. They're going to destroy you in the long run anyway. <laughs> so it, it's kind of a fun way to like express different themes that way kind
0: of mechanically and also from a role-playing point of view it's funny everyone always has obviously i'd say the big the big three or four is okay i have my class mm-hmm. i have my alignment yep but then you always have your god yep and yeah. by knowing what god you quote worship in the game tells a lot about your character and how, how you might even act right and yeah. how you act within the game especially longer campaigns yep and I think it's very important to codify all that so that people's like, oh, this guy worships Kayden and Kaylin. Well, we know what that's all about. This guy's yeah. going to be a reeling drunkard yeah, yeah. and having a, he's always up for a good time. Sure. While someone else who's like, I don't know, like uh, worshiping Iommi today might be a little bit more uh, staunchy and a mm-hmm. little more uh, yeah. stick up their butt, you know, things yeah, yeah. like that. So, it's, you know, it's like, it's obviously important to have this as one of the core books that came out mm-hmm. so people know how to build their characters and how to uh, also respond when you hear some of these other gods and then you can look them up and find out about them
1: and also as a GM if I mean if you don't know very much about you know here's Grotus for example I don't really know much about them and uh, about Grotus and and Grotus's followers but even just knowing the edicts that say here's the things I want you to do because I'm Grotus Kind of informs the way you can roleplay the NPCs that that your players meet up with or or the enemies that they fight things like that So it's just a lot of useful shorthand even in cases where all we have is literally a line in a chart to tell you some of that stuff
0: So it's obviously gods and magic. Yes, so let's talk about the magic. Oh, yes,
1: there is So what's the new magic part? Quite a bit of magic. So there's a, a whole section after you get past the gods and the other gods, and then we get into pantheons and some of the other larger groups like demon lords and imperial lords. Eventually, we reach just a whole section that's a bunch of rules options. Uh, so, to flesh out as much a, of the game as we could, kind of as quickly out of the gate as we could, we came up with, I believe it's 18 new domains to accompany all the different deities. Some of those are new because we need to present the kind of domains we wanted for some of the, the deities that show up in the this book and some of them we just think are a good idea and might be used more so down the line but all of these have their own pair of domain spells that come with them like you would with the core rule book if you're a cleric you can get that domain or if you're a champion you get that domain or you know you multi-class whatever the case might be you can then tap into these new spells that grant you new stuff like there's the time domain the, the worm kind domain and all of these other stuff that kind of tap into these other ideas and concepts that haven't been touched Uh, Just yet with the core rulebook. But beyond that, we also have a whole bunch of new magic spells that aren't inherently tied to any particular divine being, but also complement all the different deities that are in here. When you worship a deity as a cleric, you get a few bonus spells that you add to your uh, tradition that, you know, suddenly you can do something that no other cleric can do, and that might include the likes of. You know, fireball, That that is not technically a divine spell, but if you worship a god of fire, you might be able to cast fireball now because that's a spell that they can grant. So we, we used a lot of these spells to also flesh out the, the spells that some of these deities would grant. So we'd have, you know, kind of time-twisting spells and, uh, you know, new ice spells and electricity spells, just a lot of filling out a, a bunch of those basic concepts as well. But these spells, because they're not divine, they end up being available for, you know, wizards and sorcerers and druids and the like because they're occult and primal and arcane. So that's a bunch of cool stuff. And then beyond that, beyond just magic stuff, we have new feats for people who are worshippers of deities, but not necessarily divine, divinely infused uh, in their own right, but might still gain power from their worship. A new background that kind of ties into every deity that exists out there uh, in some capacity or another. And, and new magic items for people. You know, Here's a new weapon from your particular god and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I saw that. I like that there was, like, one magic item for each specific core 20. Yeah. Including, I like the Caden Kaylin cup. Yep. It's like, it's like oh, yeah, it, it's always full of beer. No matter how much you drink it, I it's mean, full. Yeah, do you expect any less from that? I <laughs> know, but it's, but it's like a fun. It's just fun so much thing, fun. Yeah. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. And, okay, who worked on these spells? Because there's one thing I noticed. I'd say about a good quarter to a third of these spells are absolutely disgusting.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, we had two different people work on the spells. We had Patrick Reaney, who is, uh, our, one of our AP developers. He worked on just the general spell section. And, uh, our new organized play developer, James Case, worked on the domains and all their spells. And yeah, a lot of them are really gross. There's, uh, like gross miasmas that come out. There's acid that, like, clings to you like armor and kind of starts melting you away. There's, yeah, there's a bunch of ridiculous. The
0: sloth skin. That might be the most disgusting spell I've yeah. ever seen in my life. You're constantly growing new skin. It's great. And so if you take damage, it's like, yeah, my skin's literally slothing off me so quickly that it's as armor. Yep. It's disgusting. It's great, and I think it, it
1: fills a lot of, <laughs> fills out a lot of cool stuff. Like it's a perfect ergotella spell. It's like very gross, but if you're into a, the goddess of undeath. Yeah, that makes sense. Whatever. I don't need all the skin.
0: It's But it is genius because I'm reading. I'm like, okay, standard, standard. Mm -hmm. Okay, a little out there, a little out there. You get to the spells list, and the spells lists for some of these books are like, oh, you're filling these weird niches. Yeah, yeah. But it's like not only did you feel weird niches, but you're like, we're not just filling a niche, but we're going way out there. Like if this is going to be a spell for like an undead god. It's going to be gross, yeah, and absolutely. it's going to be disgusting, and yet useful. Yeah, I think they
1: both did a great job on that, and uh, you know, their work along with Mark Seifer, who was our, our member from the design team, to get all that working correctly. Just there's going to be a lot of stuff to love in this book, I think.
0: So let's move on to some of the other Lost Omens books, because you've been busy, man. I have been busy and remain busy, you're right? <laughs> it's like every book is like, it's another Lost Omens book. Yep, yep. And it's every three months? So every three months. Every three months. Uh, at least that's the, the, the time frame we're shooting for. Uh, so next up we have the Absalon World Guide, correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lost Omens. Absalom City of Lost Domains. Oh, I think city, it's,
0: there we go. It's a lot of Lost Domains in there. And I know Eric Moen is super excited about this. Absolutely. And that this is something you've been talking about and working on for a long time. There was a book that came out a few years ago, but not like this. Like, this is a 200-plus page book of just one city. Yep. What should we expect to see on that? Uh, this
1: should be, So, we, as you mentioned, we had a, a campaign-setting book for Absalom way back very early on in Pathfinder's life. I think 2008-ish. I think it might have still been a 3.5 book. And we haven't come back to Absalom with that kind of focus since then. So like, this is the perfect time to do it. And with two upcoming APs that are set in or around Absalom, it's a perfect time to do that. So yeah, it quadruples the size of the original campaign setting book and just kind of flushes out a lot more. So this book is kind of be your go-to resource on what's everyday life in Aslam. You know, at the start of the day, what are people doing? When do people start their their work? When do people take breaks? When do people get lunch? When do people go to sleep? What's the nightlife like? To so things like what are the uh, all the different military groups? You know, we have a bunch of different guard and uh, other military factions that are protecting the city. To more of the politics. Uh, who are all the different groups vying for power, and also who makes the decisions? Tell us about you know the, the councils that, that decide all this stuff and the the laws of Absalom, and the like. And then we get to go into a kind of an in-depth view, much like we did with um, you know uh, the world guide, where we we break the the city down piece by piece and then kind of dive into each of that section. So each district has its own sizable section that tells you here are the people who who live there here here's their particular culture Absalom is so big that a particular district might have different fashions and and other customs compared to just even their neighbor on the other side of a gate uh, and gives you that gives you a bunch of adventuring locations and kind of even has a, a kind of mini encounter or plot hook uh, random table that you can roll onto if you need an adventure right now this is where you get started and then from there we give you things like monsters that kind of creep in and around Absalom or, or, or will be helpful to flesh out uh, the city. So not only is it monsters, the NPCs, like here's a local guard or here's a uh, politician's like clerk, you know, a little assistant and stuff like that to kind of flesh things out and, uh, you know, and try to also provide as much information uh, as an easy reference. So if you find an NPC name, you can then look them up in a different section and say, oh, that's so-and-so, they live in this place, and they are friends with this other person. Oh, who's that other person? And then you can look that person up, and they live over here, and their mortal enemy is this other person. And you can start
0: seeing the web uh, that is this kind of inner uh, woven city. How would you organize something like that? Because I'd have to imagine a lot of this is organization. you got to want to be able to get to the stuff quickly if you're GMing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it is uh,
1: y- making use of our kind of current layout of books, if you looked at the world guide or character guide, you know that there are sidebars on the side that kind of, sometimes they give you fun information like here's halfling slang, or it'll give you a timeline, things like that. So when we think it's important, if you're reading about an NPC and it mentions 10 other people from the city, we will then put on the side, oh, this is this person, go to this page to figure out who they are, and this other person's on this other page. So, and then it makes it very easy to point you to different places where things are. We know it, can't be a perfect book in terms of organization. Like it will never be perfect for every reader. So by setting these in place, it makes it easy to, while you're reading this particular information, we can point you to the relevant information to kind of expand from there. Uh, and then when we can, we include, you know, other page references. We have the gloss decks in the back that kind of flushes out things that may not, if you don't know, What Galarian is, we can just put an entry, here's Galarian, this is the world, and who's Caden Kalian? We mentioned him a lot because he rose from the Starstone. Oh, well, he's the god of drunkenness and bravery and and freedom, and then it can tell you where else to look for that information if it's not in that book.
0: So you mentioned Starstone, are we going to, sorry, are we going to get a chapter on the Starstone? Uh, the whole
1: Starstone won't get a whole chapter. There is the Ascendant Court District, which is where the Starstone Cathedral is, and that is one of our most like top priority buildings that we wanted to make sure got a lot of information and i mean we do give you more on the star stone that we've ever done before because it's featured on uh the uh, gods and magic cover so for the first time now we can tell you what it looks like <laughs> right. and then working from that we've then been able to expand on the stuff so here and there when it makes sense you actually start seeing the star stone a bit more because now we can feature it in art and things like that
0: I mean, it's one of these things that everyone talks about and knows about, but yet no one knows. I mean, I think everyone, all that people know about it's like, well, you have to make an arrangement, I guess, to go touch it. And then one of the very first things you have to do is like what there's like a bottomless pit that surrounds it. You got to figure out how to get over that.
1: Yeah, you have to get through the pit and then get through the cathedral itself. And then if you get to it, then you can take the test of the star stone. Not getting to it is even the the proper test. Then you touch it and... And then you, know, then you go undergo your, your individual test to see if maybe you can be a god.
0: So it's, again, but it's, it's so central to not only just Pathfinder, but Starfinder. Like, yeah. It's, it's like, come on, guys, give us the info. I think <laughs> we're, we've been very coy about it in the past
1: years, but yes. I think especially someone like Eric has kind of mentioned, no, we should, we should be a bit more open about it. So I think you might start hearing a bit more about it in the, in the future.
0: I hope so. Well, just even the art. On the book is fantastic. Like you get to see what it looks like, and it's like it's big. It's Uh, big. Yeah, I I thought it was gonna be like this little thing, but it's like this massive chunk of stars, though.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Covered with
0: skeletons. Yep, that's everyone who didn't pass. (laughs) I was out. It's like oh, he gets thrown out. Do they get thrown out as a skeleton, or they get thrown out completely whole, and then over time they slowly decompose? That I I wish I knew. They
1: haven't told me that. (laughs) No. But we know we know. eventually, if you fail, how, what your fate ultimately is, is you get to show up on one of the coolest Lost Omen covers ever.
0: Oh, there you go. It's like, oh, there's my character that died. Here yeah. he is on the cover. I have a consolation prize, at least. <laughs> so then after that, we got Lost Omen's Legends. Yes. That has... It's so funny. All these covers are, like, the coolest cover ever. Yes. And then you get to Legends, and it's like, that might be the coolest cover ever. That That one is... It's just a genius. It's like, it's well, you got, because Taro you don't really get to see him, but it's like, he's like right there, centered. It's a big deal. Nasty. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, that one was pretty fun to order. I mean, we
1: we trust a lot of our artists to just, we give them kind of the basics. We want a cover that looks like this and this, and then get, kind of just let them go. Ekaterina Burmack, who did the cover for that, just, you know, blew us away with what she turned in. It's, amazing i kind of just asked i got to order that cover i just says hey put these four people there and make it kind of look like a movie poster you know where you see all the floating heads stacked (laughs) on each other and it just turned out so wonderful i i I love it very much i'm very excited for that Uh, so what's in legends
0: because that's such a nebulous title it could be anything yes
1: uh so we haven't said too much on it because it it just got announced very recently but i'm I'm, I'm happy to talk about a bit so uh what we're trying to do is we've shown you the world with the World Guide. We've talked about a lot of different people. They've actually had a sidebar in every region, every meta region had a sidebar that says, here's some of the important moving, movers and shakers, like Queen Abigail Thrun, or Tarbafon, or, or uh, Tessa Fairwin, you know, people like that. And they might maybe get a line or two that says, you know, here's, what they, here's who they are, and you know, maybe a little bit about them. But if you haven't taken the time to look back in some of our older books, You might not know who they are or what they've been up to. Or some of these are newer figures that you've never seen before because, you know, timeline is constantly being updated and we have new people rising to power and prominence. Uh, So this is our chance to kind of put the spotlight on these figures, some of whom have been here since literally before Pathfinder was a thing. Tarbophon first showed up in a a fun miniature set that gave you uh, like a little encounter and came with a mini, the complete encounters line and said, hey, this is the Whispering Tyrant, but we never said what Pathfinder was because that wasn't even a thing yet. So he's existed for so long, but we haven't had too much of a chance to kind of give spotlights to some of these characters. Uh, so what we want to do is give you kind of a nice big reference that's showing you a lot of the movers and shakers throughout the Inner Sea, what they're up to, what they're all about, who they know, who they like, who they dislike. And uh, here and there, we also want to encourage GMs and players to interact with these figures in their game. So if you uh, go try to learn about Old Mage Detembe, you might discover some of his spells that he, he created during his time. These rare spells that you can only get by doing all the, the work to find out who he is, maybe meet up with the people in Magambia and, and receive those as a reward. So we want to encourage both GMs to use those for you know, the, whatever stories they want to tell, whatever plot hooks they want to use, but also encourage PCs to say, hey, this spell looks cool, I want to go learn that spell, but to do that, my character has to go figure out the history of Old Mage Tatembe and speak with Magambia and gain access to those spells. Or I want to meet Queen Abigail Thrune and uh, convince her to give me an infernal contract for great power, I know that she can mess with me if I do that, but some of that power is really good.
0: (laughs) So is it going to be mostly people, or are we going to also have legendary items, legendary spells, legendary feats, classes, backgrounds? There's a little (laughs) bit
1: of everything. You probably won't see too many backgrounds just because it's hard to tie those into the figures. What we want to do is, in theory, you meet these people and then... You know, as a reward, they give you some of the stuff that is in this book. Um, So if you go meet with um, Kevoth Kool, who was the barbarian uh, leader of Numeria, who, uh, you know, he has some stuff he can give you. But the only way to get that is to go speak with him. But you can get this new, uh, amazing sky metal alloy that he's created to create new types of weapons and armor that no one has ever seen before. But he's you know, kind of a, a, he's this barbarian king who's been kind of addicted to Numerian Fluids for several years, so it might be kind of tough to convince them to do stuff without angering him. But yeah, it comes with different spells, depending on who's granting stuff. There are new uh, magic items, there are new feats, and so there are a variety of all types of, of things here. You probably, I don't think you find any specific, like, paladin feats or fighter feats and we try to make it as broad as we can Uh, but there are some instances where it might tie into existing archetypes and things like that so i know the uh, knights of last wall get a little bit of additional support through some of the the figures that show up here
0: so it's like everything in this book rare or unique pretty much uh there
1: are a few cases where they are (laughs) uncommon with ways to get get at them we didn't want this book to be completely impossible to use by a player unless the gm says so um, but, yeah, most of them you can expect them to be rare because uh, it, it encourages PCs to interact with the, the figures in the book and, and kind of try to earn those rewards.
0: And when does that come out?
1: That is scheduled for July of
0: next year. So that's going to be our big Gen Con Lost Omens release. So wait, Tar Talk about him. How he's in there too? You can like go and do things and interact with him and get some rewards? Uh, he doesn't have any rewards because he's not the kind of guy to give out rewards. Uh, that's
1: what I was wondering. Like, what type of but, rewards does he give but, out? Um, he doesn't so kill you. Not Maybe. <laughs> maybe he kills you and brings you back on his side. Right. Maybe that's the kind of reward. Now, it's not everyone in, featured in this book, uh, Rancy Rewards. We didn't have enough space to do right. that for everyone. It was a mixture of some that are... Bigger entries for some of these individuals, and those include uh, the, the rules options with them, and some of these are smaller options that are t- smaller entries that are just lore information. But what all of these have is things like uh, adventure hooks built into them uh, that are just you know, hey, if you know Tarbafon, here's maybe some of the stuff he might be up to soon, and uh, a GM can use that either, hey, here's where you can go stop him, you know, foil his plans, or hey, if you want to join up with him, go help him out with doing this. But it also Will have the interactions between, you know, how does uh, Queen Abigail feel about the threat of undead coming down towards Cheliax? What does she do and how does she respond? And maybe some of the interaction you have with facing uh, Tarbaphon's forces is because Queen Abigail says, I need you to go do this. And in return, you might get one of these infernal contracts, I told you. And all these different connections that show how the figures within the book interact with each other and know each other. Everyone has uh, at least a few connections with other. Uh, with at least two other of the uh characters figured in this book so there's always this big web of just like everyone is at least aware of each other and some of them are direct allies or enemies.
0: So we literally it's literally legends. It's like yeah. you're just taking the all stars of Galarian mm-hmm. and throwing them in there yeah. and and outlining them. Which it's funny, I think about it, it's like there's a lot of times you hear about these people yep. mostly through adventure paths or through society play, but There's not any information other than like, oh, yeah, they're in charge and they're the king or they're the queen. And you maybe know a little bit about their family history, but that's it. You don't know anything about them. So Yeah, this is
1: kind of what we wanted to do is say, here's this queen, for example. Why does she do what she wants to do and what are her ultimate goals in the long run? To both encourage GMs to use that for their own stories, but for us maybe to come back later and say, hey, you know how we mentioned... That so-and-so is looking to, you know, find this magical artifact. Well, it turns out they're getting close. Maybe it's time for an adventure to see who gets to it first. Is Baba Yaga in this one? Baba Yaga is in this book, yes.
0: Ooh. Baba Yaga
1: may have ended her Reign of Winter. <laughs> the the Reign of Winter thing might, might have ended at the end of that AP. But that doesn't mean she's done with Galarian. In your game, you may have told her to leave, leave Galarian alone. But for, for the, the stories that we're presenting... That, She has a granddaughter who's now in in charge of Erison. She might be keeping an eye on her and seeing what's up with... Are are people treating my granddaughter right?
0: And is she ruling the way I want her to rule? What about the uh, undead lords, like of uh, Nex? Nex and Geb? Of course, we have these two. All right! We we, we talk
1: about (laughs) their history together and kind of, you know, what's next? Geb has been waiting for Nex for so long that he literally died and came back and is still waiting. You know, what does that mean uh, for... For his nation, especially now that Erasne um, is gone and he has to kind of take up the, the role of leadership again. He, he can't rely on her to do all that.
0: How is he ruling? What, what's he up to? What are his plans? That I'm excited to read just because that's like one of those sub stories that has been talked about yeah. on the sides for so long. It's very fascinating. It's like it's a war that's going on so long that everyone was turned on dead just to keep fighting. And it's like they don't even almost remember why they were fighting. It's yep. been going on for so long. Yeah. So what's going on there? Yeah, there's
1: a lot of these figures who also we've mentioned once or right. twice back in the history, back in the, the early days of Pathfinder, and then never got a chance to go back to them and say, what are they up to? What are they doing now? And this is the perfect time to, to kind of bring you up to date with, it's All been right. 10 years. What what has Geb been doing? What Has there been any development with Next? You know? um, and it also lets us kind of showcase more of the resolutions of the APs that we kind of seeded in. Uh, Queen Abigail has had a lot of stuff happen in Chelyax, uh, especially that one year where Kintargo went to heck and then West Crown got taken over. You know, it, it was a whole big, dramatic
0: year. What's the fallout of that? What about Last Wall or whatever's last? That's not even Last Wall anymore. Yeah,
1: exactly. That, that's one of the things that we, we get to showcase by... By speaking about these NPCs who are so directly tied to some of these regions, we can also explain what's happened here. Hey, Sortion is now a ruler in New Thassalon. What's she doing? But also, what's going on in New Thassalon? What are the people like? What, what what are their interactions with their neighbors?
0: What about the Pirate Queen?
1: Do you go into her? Yeah, absolutely. She's on the cover. so we, Oh, we, and of course. Yeah, cool. we, we definitely, yeah, <laughs> she, she has to deal with the sudden uprises that jerk group the Firebrands. You know, does she like them? They, they steal a, a bunch of her ships early on in their their life, you know, how she feel about those. How does she feel about the individual members of the, the firebrands? We, we featured, you know, some of these new organizations get some of their, um, It kind of seemed like a entities. really hard
0: book to write in yeah. terms of a lot of this, you don't even have the information. So yeah. like, how did you even like come up with the stories and how they all hook into each other? I mean, so it seems really tricky.
1: Much like we do with our artists for the covers and, and all of our artwork, we trust our freelancers a lot to, kind of take it in their own direction that we think is uh, going to be best for, for what they're writing. So what we did for some of these, you know, we have Geb and Next we say, here's where you look for all their history, and, and then they kind of recount that and then work from there to say, okay, now they're doing this. Or we have newer figures, like we have uh, the Sapphire Butterfly, who's uh, a vigilante mentioned in the Firebrand section of the character guide. Okay, who is she? What does she do? Literally, she was a name drop in that section. It says, oh, some figures like the Sapphire Butterfly, and it's never mentioned again. So that has nothing to work from. And we, when we outline that, we kind of get to say, okay, this is who we think the character is. This is kind of what we think their history is. But you get to go and kind of flesh that out and decide what, what exactly that all entailed. And then from there, we also said, hey, freelancer, here's all the other freelancers working on this. Work together. Come up with cool storylines on your own and uh, decide, you know, who likes each other, who doesn't like each other. So, you know, suddenly with Lord Sorshin, who who does she know, who who does she like, who does she dislike, how does she feel about Tarbufan? We got to let our freelancers speak with each other and say, oh, I'm writing Tarbafon. This is what I'm planning to do. Oh, well, Sorshin is planning to do this. Oh, actually, that kind of clashes and we get to kind of create plot hooks from just all the interactions that the freelancers had during the writing process.
0: Sounds like you have been really busy. It yeah. sounds like an organizational nightmare. That
1: one actually wasn't too bad. It It's very easy to get you know a bunch of authors, throw them
0: into a Discord and say, have fun, and oh. then come back a month later and say, okay, what do you got? Oh, really? I guess that makes sense. So it must have been a fun project to work on, having yeah. all the freelancers getting to collaborate with each other. Absolutely.
1: And another fun thing we got to do on this book is use a lot of newer freelancers. So there are some people who have very little experience with the this Age of Lost Omens, the, the setting and stuff. But with that, you know, we, we can bring them up to speed on the information that you need to know. If you're writing Tarver here's here's the information you need to know about who he is and what he's done. But also you, you have new ideas, new takes that you can give for the character, new spins on the character that might work out a lot better than what we had in mind previously or what we may have asked for you in the, in the outline. And it, 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 fresh perspectives do a lot for, for the book like this.
0: I just actually I love these new Lost Omen World Guides. I didn't mind the prior guides, the soft covers, but it always felt like they, they didn't scratch the surface. Sure. But it wasn't. A, it didn't afford you to go into quite as much depth. Yeah. You know, like you couldn't have these two page spreads for every single main guide. Yep, yep. You know, that probably would have been a one page spread. Yeah. You know, so it just feels like just having this new this new line, you're just allowed a lot more space mm-hmm. and a lot more not only just artwork, but text on everything. Yeah. It really feels much more, you know, a lot more breath. Yeah, it,
1: having the extra, I mean, essentially a double-sized book for each uh, book that we do does let us do those deep dives and also lets us kind of take broader approaches to some of the subjects we want, but let us kind of get more with that. So if we did this book in the campaign setting line, it might have been a 64-page book that's just all about kings and queens, right? Well, you wouldn't have people that are you know great doctors or great warriors and the like because all we want is rulers and suddenly we've kind of limited ourselves on that by just saying legends we can kind of go into whoever we feel is a a good fit great great mages great warriors you know scholars and all that like that are still very influential but don't necessarily have to be in a position of of leadership and are still considered legendary and notable figures so yeah the the bigger book lets us take the kind of Cast wider nets or take deeper dives when, when we feel appropriate, like with the Absalom book, where it's just giving you more information
0: than you knew you could ever, ever receive on Absalom. So we'll wrap this up, but before we do, I want to know, what's your favorite god from Gods and Magic? Okay. What's your favorite, I'll say, district for Absalom? Okay. And then what's your favorite legend? Okay.
1: Uh, favorite god. That one is tough. He uh, picking Picking my favorite child. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I particularly like um, like Gruhasta. He's a a Vudrani god who's kind of a god of knowledge. Uh, And Irori is his uncle, actually. Uh, And Irori sought enlightenment through the perfection of the body and the mind. Um, But Gruhasta kind of perceives enlightenment as something attainable by just knowledge, getting more knowledge and finding your own way you might not need to be the most jacked, awesome monk in the world to achieve enlightenment. Uh, if, if you find your own way, that, that's great. And he encourages, you know, the sharing of knowledge and books and, and, and helping each other out, helping communities out. And I really like uh, what he's about. But there's other favorites. I like Bri, I like Cassandra Lee. I like uh, Ray's still one of my favorite deities since when I first started playing the game. Well, it's hard to pick, but I think that's the one I would land on. I'll give
0: you mine. Um, yeah. We'll go with I'll do it. Actually, I'll do it too. Uh, I like Lee. Yeah. I love her. Just because she's new? Yeah. And she's just... It was one of the only gods you actually got to play with. Yep. Like, I can't think of any other adventure path or adventure where you got to hang out with them before they were a god. Yeah. And help them attain godhood. Yep. So it's really cool. And she was just also a cool character. Yeah, she's great. Lot. And then...
1: Uh, just kind of getting to sow the seeds of, hey, what does this mean for the future of Galarian that right. might eventually lead to Starfire? <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it's been a, a fun exercise with her. All right, you said favorite district. The district. Okay, I am a big fan of the Ivy District, which is kind of the hoity-toity, oh, we love plays and drama and, and art and all that stuff. It's where all the artists live in the, the city. And there's a lot of just fun things like... Um, there's a, a garden where you can put on performances that's kind of run by leshis and stuff. Uh, that you know Things like that. It's it just kind of more than you would typically see in an adventure because there's forts and inns and taverns and all that stuff, but we rarely talk about where do people go to watch plays? Or what, what's entertainment like? And then also it's kind of fun to, as an adventurer, go in and disrupt all the snotty nobles' lives by <laughs> showing up with your gross dank armor that has been covered in pints and pints of blood and be like oh yeah i'm here to see a show and then oh oh you know they start fanning themselves
0: and i never would seeing all that stuff i don't know i kind of like puddles yeah i mean i have to reread you know obviously the new guide but this whole concept of when i went to Venice, and the thing about venice is like it's a sinking city sure and it feels weird when you're there you're like it's like wow there's water everywhere and like it's just a part of life that this place is going to sink one day yeah. and it purposely is sinking and people are like building their lives around islands yeah and in my mind it's like puddles it's like oh yeah it's here and then the tide comes in and the tide goes out and like what are their lives like of people that are living with the tide constantly washing away the city slowly it's a, sinking pretty in, gross it's pretty gross
1: um but it's a perfect haven for goblins. Yes, we've learned. Yes, uh, and also there's a, a a weird monster stomping around there that you'll get to learn about in in the Absalom
0: book. So I, I think you can look. There's something very much to look forward to in that. It's just yeah. It just it affords itself to something. Like I think everything in Absalom has a real world equivalent. Sure. But puddles is yeah, fairly it's kind unique. of its own unique yeah. thing. Yeah, it's like can't really do. And then. Legends. Now that just took too many to choose from. But. Oh
1: boy. So we have over 30 legends in that book and that's uh, we, we could have had probably 10 books worth of figures just from what we had to trim down. But who made it in that I would say I am this is tough. So I'm going to go by who gives you rules options and then who is one that doesn't give you rules options. Um, so I am particularly fun there is uh, a figure we mentioned in the broken land section of the world guide who's a, a new figure uh, his name is kismar crookchar he is a former Technic League guy he's a gnome he's a former member of the technically and suddenly with the technically kind of disbanding and, and kind of falling apart he there's a big power vacuum that he's trying to fill in and he has a bunch of access to technology that he can give you uh so he he's He's a guy who's created this new drug called Hype, that is uh, very good at keeping you awake and getting stuff done quickly. Uh, but he, you know, he's not the—he's kind of a shady guy. So he, he's pretty interesting. Where so, so
0: he invented Monster Energy, basically. He invented
1: Monster Energy—that's actually the joke we have kept making. Oh really? Because it, the the Hype is actually bright blue. <laughs> it just looks very much like an energy drink, so it's perfect. Uh, Ryan Costello actually wrote that section uh so he, he did i great was gonna ask
0: you i don't know if that was allowed to be told but i know ryan yeah contributed to the legends i was curious what he yeah he wrote that particular
1: section oh there you go um and uh one of the sections that doesn't give you um rules options but it's still kind of a fun thing um we have like i said new organizations i'm particularly fond of the firebrands having written them myself in the core right but i kind of you know let my babies go to the the freelancers to write on those, and one of these is um, actually a sea captain who was basically the first firebrand, if you count her or the silver the silver ravens. But she uh, helped liberate uh, what is now formerly Sargava and is now Vidrian by fighting off the free captains, all the different pirate ships. Uh, her name is Shimali Manx, and uh, she's this just like amazing kind of. Arrowflame kind of swashbuckling style sea captain that kind of can uh, sail circles around all the other free captains at this point. And we get to explain who she was and, and what she's up to now. And Pat, uh, Patchen Mortimer got to write that section and he, he did a, a great job with that as well. So I'm looking forward to people meeting these new figures that we've name dropped or, or teased and, and kind of talked about. Actually, I should talk about a former figure that, an existing figure that's in there that is pretty cool. Um, let's see. I mentioned Kavoska. I've given a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, we get to, um, focus on Fortune. I've mentioned. What, one figure that we haven't had a chance to really go back to for a long time is Queen Tadas... Uh, queen Adasiril, excuse me, uh, who is the queen of Kyonin, the elf queen. And, you know, she's been around for hundreds of years because she's an elf. And it's still going strong, so what's she been up to and kind of her, she's in a great position where she has, you know, the Five Kings Mountains and all the dwarves and Taldor, who's brand new and has likes of uh, uh, Empress, uh, the the new Empress there, and all these other notable political figures that she, have influence her and around, on her and and she has on them, so all her connections are great too.
0: Do Do you cover who's in charge of the Hell Knights?
1: we cover there is no one person in charge of the hell knights because okay. every order has oh, right. has that their own lictor so. but we do have one of the the lictors for for the hell knights uh, featured in there and yeah. and why he's investigating uh, queen
0: uh queen Abigail. Okay He said I would be curious I don't know if that would be my favorite but I'd be very curious I think a lot of people just like the hell knights because yeah. they're they're fascinating Yeah It's cuz they're like well they're good and Some of evil them are good. like yeah. they're like right they're like they're very... It's a very interesting organization. It's, it's and, like... And, and they because they're not beholden to anyone, they can do
1: things like, hey, Queen Abigail, did she plan all this Hell's Rebels, Hell's Vengeance stuff? Is, is she profiting from this? What's going on? And, you know, let's investigate what she's doing because she can't stop us. So right. stuff like that is, is exciting to showcase here.
0: They're like the Watchmen. Yeah. They're like, you know, who's watching the Watchers? They're, they're like the independent force... That's really strong. Yeah. And everyone knows who they are, and they're nasty. Yep. And they just sort of go and do their own thing, and yeah, not yeah. a lot of people can stop them. They're yeah. they're really fascinating. I that's like that Great. A I, lot. I think there's a lot to look forward in this book, and I hope that a lot of people like what we end up doing there. I know you need to go back and run some demos. Yeah. So I will let you go, Louise. Sure. But thank you so much. Thanks so much for sure. We're going to be talking again when the new books that are announced, because every three months we get another book.
1: Every we'll come. Well. I'm sure uh, I'll be chatting about Absalom soon enough. That's true. All right, thanks. Sounds great. Thank you.
0: Hey, everyone. Steve here. So there we go. My interview with Luis. Hopefully you all had fun with that. All enjoyed that. Luis and Eleanor are on the show usually every six months or so now. It works out pretty well since they come out with four books a year. So usually we have them on like every six months and we can talk about the next two or three books that are coming out. One thing I do want to mention is the Gods and Magic book is unbelievably gorgeous. I'd almost say Gods and Magic is a required book just because if you're going to be creating a character, you want to know all the backgrounds of all the various gods. And there's so many different gods that you can find anything that suits your tastes. That's one of the nice things about this book. I always found that an issue with other books that only highlight maybe like 20 gods or 30 gods. That you can kind of find what you want, but there's never really something if you want some really strange niche. You can't always find that specific type of god. But this book has like 100 plus gods in it and then some and it even allows you to worship it even allows you to worship pantheons of groups of gods it even has a section that gives you an idea of how to worship just ideas and concepts it's it's really comprehensive it's all in one place and the artwork i mean i can't get over the artwork like every one of these pathfinder books has the best artwork i've ever seen and this one like tops it all they just keep getting better and better they're really like blowing me out of the water. So look for that one. That should be out in the next couple of weeks. And you definitely want to pick that one up. And don't forget, I'm going to have my interview with Eric Mona. Obviously, we did both of these interviews while I was at PAX Unplugged. And Eric and I talk more about Absalon, City of Lost Omens, because that's kind of his baby. He's written over 100,000 plus words on this book. It's going to be a monstrous book. If you notice, the focus this year is Absalon. The Extinction Curse takes place in the Isle of Kortos. Then you have the Book of Absalon. Then you have Agents of Edgewater, where you're going to be cops in Absalon. And then finally, you have the adventure Eric Mona's working on, where you're going to go into a super dungeon underneath Absalon. So this year, they are really exploring the Isle of Cortos, Absalon, what's in it, how it works, and what's underneath it. So everything you ever wanted to know. That is kind of the focus this year. So be on the lookout for that interview next week with Eric. And then finally, if you're interested in free things and free money, do check out The Fall of Plague Stone. We're running some contests where I'm just giving out free cards for Amazon. Just gift cards. Just for listening. Just for thank yous for people listening to the show. Being a part of the community. All you gotta do is listen to the show and uh, go to our Discord channel and tell us what your favorite part of the show is. That's it. You're automatically entered. Might do this for a little while. I used to have a ton of contests on the Dead Sons podcast. Kind of stopped it for a while. Some people asked if I should run some new ones on the Fall of Plague Stone. I said, sure, why not? So there you go. We got some new contests. And if you're interested in playing games, we have over 125 games of Starfinder, Pathfinder, Pathfinder 2nd Edition, and other things like Shadowrun, Call of Cthulhu. Anyone who wants to run anything, we run them on our Discord channel. We're official lodge for society play. Just go to discord.rollforcombat.com check it out there's always games for me you can start your own game you could sign up for games we usually have one or two games start every week all we need is really four people in this gm and there's a tremendous number of gms we have dozens and dozens of gms that are always looking to start new things come on by check it out and we're even just talking about well anything gaming come on by anyhow with that hopefully i'll talk and see you guys next week with the eric mona interview But if I don't, have a good holiday season and I'll see you in the new year.